Welcome to Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Each week, we explore down and dirty ways to stop awfulizing, catastrophizing, going down the rabbit hole, and moving through all the craziness that is happening right now. We're here to create a community of like-minded people as we give you tips, tricks, and techniques for keeping sane in an unhinged world. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Hey, everybody. This is Scott Grossberg, one of your co-hosts for the podcast, Keeping Your Shit Together in a Stressed World. And I'm here with my co-host, Michelle Post. Hello, Michelle. Hi, Scott. Hi, everybody. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. We're right in the midst of it all here. Yes. Um, before we jump into today, today's topic, I, I want to share kind of a theme I'm noticing with some some clients. And mm-hmm. that is that with everything going on in the world, the craziness, right? The world is tipping, tilting sideways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Well, at least the news is telling us the world is tipping and tilting sideways. Yes. Uh, I have gotten some very uh, urgent calls from people who who just, they need some guidance, help, mm-hmm. a listening board. And I, I will tell you, listening to the people who are getting activated and triggered and scared and afraid and kind of ties into what we're doing today, um, I have continually had to remind people to ask themselves, is that true? That's a good right? tip. It, it mm-hmm. is, is what's going on that you're hearing about and that you're uh, imagining, right? That that your little shadow self is taking over and saying, "Oh my God," mm-hmm. um, and and we've all got them. By the way, I, I call it my not Scott, uh, mm. just to, and and it's K N O T because <laughs> we get ourselves all tied up into knots. Someday I'll have to share my not my not tool with everybody. Um, okay, where it's right there's a part of us that's that ties ourselves up in knots with knots N O T S. Um, so like, I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know, good looking enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not, you pick the knots. You've all got, we've all got them. And, <laughs> and, and so what I'm starting to sense is that a lot of people don't feel that they are secure enough in their own homes when they're not even in, let's just take, for example, the conflict in the Middle East, the war in the Middle East, um, even though they are not physically located there yes and i i get a sense by the way I, and i'm i'm certainly not one who is dealing with a victim or survivor mentality where it's like uh-huh. there but for the grace of god go i yes. it's yeah. not it's that this is not what i'm dealing with uh there but for the grace of god go i this is it, it's kind of like this weird alchemical brew of compassion empathy and downright, this could happen to me. Yes, yes. Um, and and so it's been a very interesting journey working with this folks because I continually ask them, first question, by the way, and anybody, any of you who are going through some panic attacks or anxiety attacks or you know, pick what you want to call it. I'm, I'm not the guy that gets hung up on labels. Um, to ask yourself, am I safe? Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I ask people. It's like, are you physic? Are you physically safe? Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer is usually 
not always the answer is usually safe and if you are not if you're not physically safe then that's a whole nother thing to to take into account right if you're physically safe um one of the things i've been working with them on is okay um you know if you are physically safe and you actually don't have these problems then is the imagination that's kicking in the anxiety that's lying to you right is this serving you in any way right and you know generally as we unpack this throughout our time together um they come to find out it it's just in their imagination and i pass that on all to you because yes i've used an extreme example of war um but i think we do it with family gatherings i think we do it with standing up oh. for public speaking i think we stand up and do it uh for just about anything that creates a trigger uh and i and i really encourage people as we move in to the holiday season to start asking yourself is this what i'm imagining is this true yeah okay is this true and am I, and i safe and and i've got i've got to imagine asking you because you do couples therapy that that's probably also applicable in a couples or relationship setting um, you know, we've talked before where I said, you know, one of the biggest things for you is just keep reminding yourself you're not a mind reader. No, you're not a mind reader. And um, when we imagine what somebody else is thinking, yeah, then you create that same type of angst. Now, instead of listening to the news and letting the news deliver bad stuff to you, you're letting your own worst thoughts deliver the bad news to you. And right. And so we live with these negative thoughts. Um, And so I just I thought at the beginning here that it might be important. I'm sure that this, by the way, will tie in somehow today. It actually Um, really does. (laughs) um, I thought it was be important to at least let people know, number one, you're you're not crazy. Number two, this happens to just about everybody. Uh Uh, However, most people can come back from it. And when you find yourself not coming back from it, uh, really, you've got lots of support systems out there that are available to you. Uh, If it becomes dire, pick up the phone and call. What is the, and I don't know the the mental health hotline number here in the Uh, U.S. 988 now. They've made it easier. 988. Instead of 911, it's 988. You you can always use that. Uh, And even if you need a coach through the holidays, God, you know what? There's a niche specialty, right? <laughs> holiday. I'm a holiday coach, a yeah. holiday, a holiday desperation coach. Um, <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, find somebody that you can talk to mm-hmm. so that you're not chasing the despair or chasing the anxiety that you're getting ahead of it. Kind of like pain, you know, relief, right? Mm-hmm. You want to get ahead mm-hmm. of the pain, not chase it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um with that being said, if you do find yourself in the midst of it, there are techniques you can use yourself on your own. And mm-hmm. I, and for me, I find, and with my clients, I find that the biggest one is, is what I'm thinking true. Right. Right. Is what I'm thinking true. And am I really unsafe versus safe? I think, uh, you know, it, like testing, is it true that I'm unsafe if there's fear, anxiety, coming on. But this is actually a really nice segue into what we're going to talk about today, which is exposure therapy and 
what that is and what are some of the interventions and is there anything that you can do now to help yourself with some of these fears that you might be having? So what I'm going to, let me back up. I, I, in preparation for the show, number Mm -hmm. one, had to go look up exposure therapy. Oh, good. I, I kind of, guessed what it was uh-huh. um, and here this weird little mind of Scott is I took it it's like you're not exposing yourself to someone um, <laughs> right no, you're exposing yourself to your fears your limiting fears and your limiting beliefs yes. and as soon as I looked it up it reminded me of a story I've actually told on this show before ah. of you know we've talked before about your cabinet of advisors and how to create those mm-hmm. and one of the people I have on my on my cabinet of advisors is George Patton, mm-hmm. old blood and guts, right? Okay. The, the, probably one of the most feared generals in World War II uh-huh. uh, for, for what he did. And I've studied him passionately and his approach. And what surprised me that most people won't know about, again, this is a guy known <laughs> for, for, again, he was known as old blood and guts, literally. And what a lot of people don't realize is that while I'm, I'm looking at some of the notes from one of the scholars that wrote about him, um, while he was interested in approval and glory and esteem and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, he actually wrote his father early on while he was at West Point. And in it, he said, I I did. This was a, an event that happened there. He fell off a horse and got back on it. And he said, I did uh-huh. it. I did it just to prove to myself that I am not a coward. Well, let's start yes. with that. Well, I'm glad and, you brought that up because and, that's a classic example. Get back on the horse. Well, what Patton did that most people don't know is that he had this hidden insecurity that he was not good enough. Mm-hmm. And I've heard the story told in a variety of ways, but I'll use the one that I, I found today uh, by uh, Martin Blumenson, who's one of the people that wrote about him. And that on one day while Patton was at the range in West Point, mm-hmm. it was his turn to work down in the pits. Now, back then it was not electronic. You had to go down there and you lowered and raised the targets. Yep. And bullets are flying everywhere. Uh Patton climbed up and stood out in the open with all the bullets flying around him. Uh, And he then wrote, by the way, again, in 1943, I still get scared under fire. I guess I will never get used to it. I hope to do my full duty and show the necessary guts. And Patton would continually do these things where he would expose himself. We're not suggesting this to anybody. No, there's the extreme example of this is a man destined for what he eventually became and he exposed himself to the very danger he was afraid of constantly that is exactly what exposure therapy is except uh i will dive in and say that it's it's a part of a family of interventions or therapy called applied behavioral therapy if you think about bf skinner in your psych 101 course of positive reinforcement negative reinforcement and punishment and exposure therapy is in the same line of those behavioral interventions which is why you'll often see a cognitive behavioral therapist or there's a sort of a newer spin off of cognitive behavioral therapy called act 
acceptance and commitment therapy. Which I happen to love the ACT approach, oh, by the way. Oh, do you? Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. So exposure therapy involves gradually exposing the client or the patient to the things that they're afraid of in, with the goal of helping them of overcoming the fear and breaking that cycle of avoidance because avoidance creates more fear. Let me say that again. When you avoid something you are afraid of, it creates more fear. Your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So an example is um, I've been, I don't know why this is coming out in, in therapy a lot lately, but people who are afraid of throwing up. Okay. So at some point they were maybe nauseous or anxious and in a, in a situation where they felt like they might be embarrassed if they threw up or in the case of some people, they actually did throw up like on a plane or in a car or something like that. And where they felt very kind of unsafe or embarrassed of this. And then once you stop flying in the plane, then you stop riding in a car, you stop taking longer trips, you stop going on to amusement parks and, and your world gets smaller and smaller. Oh, you stop having the ability to go out to a restaurant and sit in, in a, in a booth. So you just, because you're afraid that you'll be trapped and you won't be able to get out when you need to vomit. So that's like a random example of a fear that I've been seeing happen more and more regularly. I don't know why it's showing up more regularly now, but you know, at this point in my career, rather than 20 years ago, but that fear, and there's plenty of them, I'll give you other examples, becomes more and more um, over, overcomes your life, your life becomes more limited, less choices and options, because of avoidance. So people naturally, if they're afraid of something, they'll avoid it. That is not necessarily the case. Now, number one, I will tell you, I am not recommending that you try exposure therapy on your own if you have severe anxiety, okay? It is not recommended. But for those of you that have like some mild fears that don't cause full out panic attacks or racing heart, et cetera, you may be able to use some of these concepts on your own or with a friend. I'm going to make this very benign for a moment. And, okay. and people on the show have heard me talk about my fun time when I was a little kid uh -huh. with the jumping spider, uh -huh. right? The spider jumped yes. and that was it. I'm done with spiders. Yep. It was a learned nature. Learned behavior. Thing. Learned behavior. Um, I have purposely exposed myself yes. to, to spiders. Yes. And by the way, there's no way I'm holding the freaking tarantula. I'm That's just telling okay. you, right? Um, okay. I, I watch these people eating tarantulas and giant spiders on Survivor, and it's like, no yeah. way in hell is that ever going to happen. Oh, yeah. yeah but yeah. by gradually exposing myself to the small little, they don't jump spiders. Yes. Every now and then one does, but it I don't have, because of the prolonged and consistent saying, I can do this. Yes. Um, Self-efficacy is a very important part of why exposure therapy works. I can it, do this. Yeah. And it's, it's like, I'm Scott, I'm this big guy and there's this little spider, little tiny and, spider. and it's like, okay. And so it, it, I will tell you, I know you've said, don't, don't self treat, don't, but don't self treat. 
treat but, if it's severe. Yeah. If it's mild or maybe medium, you may be able to do what Scott's saying. So what it so you have exposed yourself to little spiders so that they don't become uh, your world doesn't become small. Yeah, so you're but, not going to go in the orchard because you're afraid of seeing a spider. You're not going. No, to I just don't. The- <laughs> I, I just don't go down into the deep south where the spiders are the size of small dogs. <laughs> I think that is Arizona where they are tarantulas. That's oof. yes. My yeah. sister, my sister has them there. So mm-hmm. let, let's take it. I know all, all kidding aside, let's take a step back for a minute. Okay. And, and I get a sense that what we're really talking about is an anxiety. Of course. It's Symptom fear. disorder. It's, it's there's anxiety with it. There's anxiety. There's a fear. Mm-hmm. And I've always firmly believed that anxiety presents you with a number of lies, and uh-huh. that ang- and that anxiety can be not always, but can be a result of an overactive imagination. Yes. And, and the reason I say that is because I happen to work with a lot of entertainers and a lot of creative folks, and. Boy, folks, you you want to see people with overactive imaginations. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. I could be a poster child for that mm-hmm. because that's how we create, right? Yes. We everything is in our head and everything yes. is is kind of moving around yes. until we decide to manifest it in some solid or physical form, right? And but up until then, anything is possible. And I and I wonder, not knowing where you wanted to go with today's show, I I wonder if for a lot of people like me, it's the fact that anything is possible, which means everything is possible, mm-hmm. which means the worst can happen, the best can happen, and everything in between. Yes. And how that fits in with the exposure therapy concept. If, to put it another way, if we took the not, or if we took the suboptimal imagination component right. Right, right. out of the anxiety, does right. that help with this? If we took the which part out of the anxiety? Suboptimal. The 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 I'm gonna call it the bad imagination. The imagination that's that's doomsane, that's pulling you down and making you dark and twisty. I mean, that's one way. That's a that's a different kind of cognitive behavioral therapy intervention, which would be more like reality testing disputing the distorted thought, et cetera, but that's not actually exposure therapy. So in with exposure therapy, if you're working with a therapist, they will create a safe environment to expose the person to the things that they fear, like riding on an elevator, going on a plane, exposure to germs. Um, It includes just different kinds of activities or situations or objects that the person may have a you know, an anxiety reaction to. So for instance, you know, fear of public speaking, right? So the, the exposure therapist may have the person prepare a speech that they give in front of a few people, and then they grow the audience over time. This was part of how I learned to cope with my own fear of public speaking. I started to work with smaller groups of people, two or three people, then five people, then 10 people. Then I was able to successfully give a speech in front of 20, 30, 50, 100, 500, eventually 3,000. I, you know, was the largest three to 5,000, I think was the largest that I've been exposed to so far. But now every time now a group of 10 people doesn't really make me nervous. Mm-hmm. 
you know, once you get exposed to the greater and greater concept, it just stops making you nervous. Now, why? Okay. So why does exposure therapy help? Like, what does it matter? Like, how does being exposed to the very thing that you're afraid of actually work? Well, number one, the concept of habituation, right? The psychological learning process that if we flood ourselves with the stimuli of the thing that we're afraid of, and we help ourselves work through the anxiety response to that thing, we basically, the repeated exposure gets us to a place where it's just like you exposing yourself to the the spiders. Eventually you're like, well, I've met enough spiders that don't jump and don't kill me. I think I'll be okay, right? Um, so habituation is important. Then comes extinction. Extinction may or may not be possible. Like for me, I don't think I'll ever have complete extinction of the fear of public speaking. I get nervous almost every time, especially if there's certain circumstances, like I haven't had enough sleep or the audience size is really large, or I don't feel like I know the material enough. So, you know, extinction may not be the goal, but if you can get to the point where it's realistic and it's not inhibiting your life or your life goals, we're okay. But extinction is this idea that if we withdraw or terminate any positive reinforcer that maintains the behavior, then we won't see it as often. So an example of what is extinction. So let's say you have a child that, um, I don't know, has been repetitively throwing temper tantrums at the grocery store when you don't give them the sugary cereal off the shelf and buy it for them. Well, every time you buy the sugary cereal, you are positively reinforcing their temper tantrum. And what you have to do is get gear yourself up to the point where no matter what, you only reinforce the positive, like, oh, I, you know, I see that you were able to calm yourself down, even though I didn't buy the cereal or, oh, you're, you you know, you're really understanding that mom or dad have an agenda and a list and we only get the things on our list that we need or whatever you do to reinforce the child for behaving calmly. Oh, it's so nice to see that you're being polite while we're out in public and you're positively reinforcing them. And then when the negative behavior shows up, the temper tantrum, you just completely ignore. You don't look at them. You don't hyper react. You certainly don't hand them a reward of sugar. If you hand them the reward of sugar, the next temper tantrum will be even larger than the last one. So what they're going to try to do is, is get bigger. So your fears as you're trying to expose them will often get bigger before they get smaller. So you want to remember that. Um, another reason why exposure therapy works is that just emotionally processing your thoughts, feelings, your meaning making of a certain fear, expressing your emotions, allowing yourself to let go of judgment and using things that calm you help the fear dissipate of the thing that you are avoiding. Um, you know, I want to I want to add something here because th- this is an interesting concept that you just brought up and I've never really thought about how I work with performers among others um, and public speakers in this context and I think I think to a person every one of them has some kind of what we call stage fright stage fright Mm -hmm. 
But but here's the interesting thing. You, Michelle, are very self-aware, got a high level of emotional intelligence, and you understand that. And what I find with people who are not as self-aware yet uh, or don't have a high level of emotional intelligence yet is helping them to identify, is it actually fear and anxiety you're feeling versus excitement, by the way, which manifests in exactly the same way. Yes, it feels the same to the body. And sometimes sometimes Mm -hmm. we put the wrong label on things. So, Uh you know, a lot of the time I'm helping people rename and because once we name it, it's ours, right? And when we name it, I'm afraid. When we name it a phobia, when we name it, whatever you want to name it, um, it takes on a life of its own. When in fact, that's not actually what it is. Right. Right. That's true. Sometimes it's about renaming, reframing, having people shift anxiety into excitement. Other times, just the sheer... Mr. Rogers concept of if it's mentionable, it's manageable. If I tell you I have fear, then I can manage my fear. If I hide it, ignore it, uh, pretend it's not there, et cetera, et cetera, it may grow. So that's why emotional processing works with extinction. You're talking to someone else about what your fears are. So they tend to shrink. Oh, here's an example. When I started going to a lot of new doctors, I would, my heart raced. I got what's called white coat syndrome where your, your blood pressure is skyrockets. And I got like super crazy high blood pressure stuff. But then what I did is every time I would go to the doctor, a new doctor or something like that, I would say to them, I have white coat syndrome. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm not normally this high. Um, And they would either one of two things, they'd either talk with me about it or they'd take my blood pressure after the visit, or they'd let me calm down before they take it. But just by even mentioning it, it started to go away and yeah, I don't you know, have it anymore. I, I did the same thing, obviously, with the, my surgery mm-hmm. on my on my knee. Um, that white coat syndrome kicked in, my blood pressure went through the roof. And yep. they and they <laughs> said, you know what, this is, they normalized it. They said, this yep. is normal. Can you just lay here? We're going to turn the lights off. Can you just lay here for five minutes and get your shit together? They didn't say it that way. <laughs> just breathe, um, calm down. But but for those <laughs> of you um, who have the same issue with dental work, I just changed dentists here. Yes, yes. Right now, come on. I've seen Marathon Man and Little Shop of Horrors. I know what <laughs> these people do. And 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 um. I went in, new dentist. Everything was great. The man is wonderful. His assistants are absolutely freaking amazing. Oh, good. Until they said, you know, you've got a crown. There's a problem with it. You've got a cavity. we got to take the crown off. And because of oh. where it's positioned, you might need a root canal. <gasps> oh, my God. Right? OMG. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you got to come back. We'll take the crown off. We'll get you prepped for another one. But we're going right, to see because right. you might have to go. Right. And get a root canal in the meantime. Right. The between time. Right. And then sitting in the chair. Right. Before he took the crown off and said, you know what, Scott, this isn't as bad as what we thought it was. And what I saw on the x-ray was exactly what it was. You don't need a root canal. Until that <gasps> was said. You were scared. I imagined all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Um. 
and and it was um, it was amazing to me from a physiological yes. level of all people someone mm-hmm. who deals in this all the time even <laughs> i am subject to yes. just just one word of you don't need to worry anymore we got yes. this yes exactly that if it's mentionable it's manageable so the the fourth and final reason why exposure therapy works is the concept of self-efficacy that if a person believes in their ability to achieve a goal or complete a task and, and their confidence increases, the, the person's ability to control their behavior, influence their environment, stay motivated, um, and with exposure therapy, seeing themselves as mastering something, mastering control of their physical and emotional states, facing their fears and coping with them is a part of the reason why self-efficacy works. So I'll, I'll give you another example. You know, I, I'm a little bit adventurous, but you know, I avoid things that sound like I could die pretty easily statistically. <laughs> well, I'm not jumping out of a plane. How about you? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not, but I did go zip lining. And I will tell you that I was so scared because in my mind, what if the line and people do get hurt zip lining, especially if it's unsafe and they don't test it. And, you know, it's anyway. So my first time zip lining, I was nervous, but I was going to do it. Right. And lo and behold, this is longer than it needs to be. But lo and behold, right before me was a little child going on the zip line who freaked the <laughs> frig out and started freaking out, crying, et cetera. So here I was trying to manage my own fear internally. And this child in front of me, like 11 or 12 year old boy or girl, I can't remember now, but they were so freaking out about how scared this, this was that I then started to ramp up and I was, you know, soft anyway, but once I got on the zip line and I successfully completed it, it was so much fun that now zip lining is something I get a little nervous, but I'm mostly excited about because I survived it once already. So that's the concept of self-efficacy. When we expose you to the thing you're afraid of and you successfully conquer it and manage yourself, you can then lose your avoidance or fear of it. Now you can live your whole life and never zip line. That's not the point, Right. but you need, okay. So step one, make a list of your fears that seem to be not your random fears. Like I don't care if you live in North America and you're afraid of zebras, who the hell cares? You can live your whole life freely in North America, never see a zebra. You don't have to do exposure therapy to zebras, but make a list of the things that inhibit your life. So do you have a fear of driving over bridges? I can say this, my I love my massage therapist. She's amazing. Her husband wanted to do a road trip to Key West, but that is a huge seven mile long bridge. Her fear comes from, I don't know, True Lies, the movie. And she's like, what if a helicopter comes and a bomb, you know, blows up the bridge and then you die off the bridge? And I'm like, how often is it possible? Yes. Is it probable? No. Like, how often does but, but I, 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 I want to add this as somebody who does work with people who are fearful. Yes. Um, to them, what's irrational to you and me mm-hmm. to them is very real, very real, very real. And, and I'm curious that with exposure therapy, the, yes. the formal exposure therapy, yep. 
Do, do you care about the root causes and is it treated no. like that? Or is it simply, you got a problem, here's how yep. we fix it. Doesn't behavioral therapists do not care the origin of it. They don't care if you're imagining it. They don't care if it's even realistic that you have a fear. They just take you on a bridge. They just drive you over a bridge over and over and over again while you're practicing relaxation training and you're calming yourself. Like maybe you're listening to the calm app in your headset while someone's driving you over the bridge. And the more you drive over a bridge, the more you realize, oh, they're not collapsing on a regular basis. Oh, you know, I can start to allow myself not to have this limiting belief. And maybe my husband and I can go on a vacation to Key West, right? It's a limiting belief. So yeah. I want you to make a list of the limiting fears that you have. Is it driving over bridges? I hear that a lot. Fear of heights for some reason, fear of germs, fear of public speaking, fear of driving. Maybe you've been in a car accident and you have a fear of driving now. Maybe it's fear of getting injured in something again, like many of my clients recovering from a knee injury, for instance, they're afraid of getting their knee injured again. Um, so fear of throwing up, I talked about, just make a list of all of the fears and ask yourself, if I didn't have this fear, would I feel more alive? Would I feel more freedom? Would I feel so, less so inhibited? Let's, let's get brutally honest here. Yep. And and I'm going to bring up a topic that I know some of our listeners are uncomfortable with, but it was very real for Scott, mm -hmm. right? I, I'm out doing public speaking, 200 gigs a year. Wow. And That's then exposure and therapy. Then, and then COVID <laughs> hit, right? Oh, yes, yes. Everything went away in three days, 200 uh, to zero. In and, I, and, and I suddenly started hearing all of the doomsay of, and my imagination was, mm -hmm. I'll be damned if I'm going to die on a gurney in a hallway because we don't have enough people to treat. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and that, so now... Right. And it never happened, obviously. Um, now we are out of what we had before. Yes, we are. It is not overloaded hospital we, systems. We, I still have friends and family who have contracted just this last week COVID. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. strain, or at least their symptoms, are far diminished from right. the, the hacking and the breathing problems and et cetera, right. that, that we had before. So who, right, right. again, it, it, it has nothing to do with the COVID concept. Right. I still find myself though. Yeah. Um, I carry sanit hand sanitizer. I make Good sure I wash my hands. Yeah. I am back out public speaking. I, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm out doing this and I still notice people wearing masks, which mm -hmm. I applaud them for doing. Me I'm too. respectful for them. If by the way, I'm one-on-one, -on -one, I just want to, uh, the dentist, they're all wearing masks. I said, would you like yeah. me to put one on? Mm -hmm. And they said, no, you don't have to. This is for us. You actually can't wear one. Um, <laughs> we need to see your teeth. Right. <laughs> and so I, I bring up that situation where mm -hmm. I'm not agoraphobic, but I can be a germaphobe. Sure. And it is not for the fear of dying, mm -hmm. although I wasn't real thrilled with the gurney concept. Right. right I could, right, I could right. empathize with that. Yeah. But it's more just the damn inconvenience of being out booking myself as a performer so often and right. being out there, um, I can't afford to be sick. Right, right. right. So, and, and I bring this up because I think I want to make sure our listeners understand that some will call it anxiety. Sure. Is reality based, right? Sure, sure. So I 
can't afford to be on my back in a bed right. and and when I've got a speaking gig booked right. or a performance booked. Right. I think that's reasonable. I'm saying that to you with a question mark. I think so. Versus there's mm-hmm. a freaking spider web. That means there's got to be a spider somewhere, which right. means, I mean, and we've, I've done this even to this day. Right. right. There's a, we, you know, my wife will go, oh, look, there's a spider web. And right. we're just about to go to bed. Right. <laughs> well, here's. I want to know me... where the freaking spider is. <laughs> let me make a more clear link. The difference between your not wanting to get sick and therefore, and being out public speaking and it being a need for exposure therapy is you're still doing it. You're still going out. You don't like being True. sick. You're still going. But if you needed exposure therapy, you would stop doing your public speaking events. You'd become more and more isolated. So okay. I've seen people stop doing the things that either brought them money or joy. They're no longer traveling on a plane. They're no longer, you know, and COVID affected people in this way, right? People stopped going to theaters. They stopped going to movies. They stopped traveling. Some people who are really afraid um, are in need of some exposure therapy. And when they get it, when they travel and they don't get sick or they get COVID and they realize it sucks and it's inconvenient, but I'm going to survive it because yeah. I've, I've gotten it before and it's more mild. Then they actually get their own exposure therapy. Some of my most challenged clients have actually never had COVID yet. And therefore they're so afraid that they won't survive it still. Oh, really? And so it's getting them a little, you know, more inhibited, but we're slowly getting them out there and realizing, oh, you know, I can get a cold and survive it. I can still travel and and not get sick. I can yeah. wear a mask if I'm really afraid. Um, <laughs> I can avoid people who just came back from large concerts if I want to. You know. So again, I think this closure. is imp- I think this is important, and that's why I brought up my own experience with this because mm-hmm. you you I think underscored the fact that we're not talking about anxiety that causes. That's the survival instinct kicking in. We're talking right. of, we're talking about anxiety that keeps you from living your life. Yes. Like people who've gotten in car accidents and struggle with driving again. That's totally understandable. It, yeah. It's it's a part of post-traumatic stress disorder sometimes or some other form of fear, but maybe they need safe driving lessons. Maybe they, you know, because if you stop driving your car, and it has nothing to do with your cognitive ability to drive a car when you shouldn't be driving. You now need to find a way around that. If you can do that, great. If you live in a big city with public transportation, who cares about driving the car? If you don't, all your friends and family are not always going to be able to drive you everywhere. So you have to figure out how to use Uber or maybe take some driving lessons so you get used to driving again if you have the cognitive physical ability to drive. If you don't, then we need to make those accommodations. But if it's just fear that's getting in the way of you driving, exposure therapy could help. So when do, I'm going to ask a very big question. I may be stepping in it by asking this to you. Okay. When is a fear irrational? Well, most fear is irrational. Explain that a little bit, because I think it's important again for our Uh listeners to hear this. Okay. So most 
fear, if you're not currently in a crisis where somebody's chasing you down the street or you're running away from a lion, your fear is rational when you are in a protective stance, okay? It is there to help you take action, to fight, run away, freeze, to survive. So it's very much a healthy, normal response. It's also a little bit rational when mm, you're 55 and have no savings and haven't learned how to budget. You're not planning for retirement. Your fear of your ability to retire ever and will I have enough money is very rational. Um, And you want to see a financial planner and get a plan in place ASAP, not just sit in the fear. Right. Um, so if your, your fear is rational, if you can see kind of a, a, a clear line of behavior that's leading you into a difficult situation where your survival, the roof over your head, your ability to feed yourself, the ability to care for yourself is, is challenged, but is it a longer term thing that's going to happen over time? Or is it a short, immediate, I'm being chased by a lion. That's when your fear is not irrational. Got it. So I'm I'm going to kind of paraphrase this, listening to all this, and I'm going to put it in the pain pleasure construct, right? Okay. That if something, we'll call it a fear, if if something fearful is not serving you, now I'm doing some of the act stuff, by the way, if uh-huh. it's not moving you towards pleasure, yes, and instead is creating avoidance because of the fear of the pain, something will cause you. Yes. Then you might want to revisit what's actually driving your life. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you some, some classic examples, but I want to explain three, three or four of the techniques before. Okay. The types of exposure therapy are what's called in vivo exposure, where you directly face a feared object situation or activity in real life. So if you're afraid of spiders, you get exposed to spiders. If you're afraid of public speaking, you're asked to give speeches or join Toastmasters where you get that exposure therapy and kind of work work it down. So there's real life exposure. You can also have imaginable exposure, which is where we kind of start often with a high level of fear in a therapy setting where we have the person imagine the feared object situation or activity, and then pair it with relaxation training, breathing, box breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, calming, calming themselves, I'm alive, etc. So we might start in an imaginable exposure, you just imagine the situation before moving into an in vivo exposure. Also, because of technology, there's now virtual reality exposure where you can use a VR headset and technology when, especially in vivo exposure is not practical. So I don't have a plane sitting around where I can just take my, you know, client on a flight and sit down and talk them through breathing through being on a flight. I just don't have a plane, but I can take um, a VR headset and talk them through the scenario and be there. In fact, I can also get on my VR headset if there's two of us and I can be in the virtual world next to them. So they can see themselves being supported. There's also what's called graded exposure, which is important. You gradually expose the person to the source of their fear. So while it might start with imagining, then a VR headset, 
then we might do um, real life after that. So it's, it's steps of that. And the whole time we're trying to help people become very aware of the sensations in their body, their heart rate, their breath rate, um, the temperature in their hands and their feet, um, their muscle tension. And we're trying to help them use breathing techniques to calm those reactions down which helps them feel, oh, I have self-efficacy. I can calm myself. And that is sort of some of the techniques that you could try. You could take one of your fears. You could imagine yourself in a really small public speaking, you know, low, low event. If that's your fear where you're, I don't know, uh, giving a toast at your family Thanksgiving, right? Maybe that's a lower or giving a toast at your friend's giving dinner or something, as opposed to a toast at a wedding, or I'm going to give a speech in front of my boss, or I'm going to, you know, entertain an entire audience of 500 people for an hour and a half. Like, don't go all the way there. Start with something small, right? And then you build towards the more extreme. Um, if you're afraid of germs, you might uh, be around somebody when you're in a mask and they're sneezing or coughing. You might start there and calm yourself before you take your mask off when you're around someone. Before we have you lick a germy surface. <laughs> Um, or rub germs in your face, right? Or if you think about it, I, I don't know who told me this, but a lot of people have a reaction to like nausea or feeling like they're going to vomit if they're exposed to poop, you know, dog poop, cat poop, kid poop. Well, if, it's fine if you don't have dogs or cats or babies um, or an elderly person that needs your help in some way in your family. But if you're, if, again, it's inhibiting your life, then instead of avoiding picking up after the dog, you start picking up after the dog, you start changing the cat litter, you start changing the baby's diapers, you just slowly expose yourself, and then you become less and less reactive, because the sheer flooding of exposure causes you (laughs) to stop. Um, I'll give you a really good, simple example. Uh, Well, not simple. It's a little complex and I'll, I'll kind of end on this before you can ask me more questions. I had a client who will remain nameless, who was abroad in, let's say Lisbon. And while abroad, they were injured and hurt. And there was a lot of recovery that was needed. And anytime he heard the city or the country referenced It activated fear, emotional panic, sadness, and like just a real reactive and now was back in Southern California. Now it's impractical for me to go to Lisbon with this person and have a corrective emotional experience. Like I'm not going to fly to Lisbon. I don't have that kind of dough. Um, We're not going to do that. But what I had the person do was um, say repetitively the word. Lisbon, 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 like 10, 15 times a day, several days in a row. Then we upped it. Find your local Portuguese restaurant and market near you and go at least once a week so that the power of this negative situation with this particular place was no longer causing an emotional, scary reaction, sad reaction, because they basically had so much exposure to the country and the city um, that they started forming new relationships with the country and the city. Yeah. So that's an example of um, exposure. Yeah. We're at the end of our 
uh, session, our, our podcast today. But this is a nice tie-in to what we're going to talk about next week. Oh, good. Which is uh, traveling mindfully and some of the stress-free travel tips that you and I have. Oh, so it will it, it will that. it will tie <laughs> it. Yeah, it was wonderful. So it'll tie in with with some of that um, as well. Awesome. Well, awesome. thank you. Thank you for exposing me to exposure therapy. <laughs> You're um, welcome. I hope it was interesting. It, and uh, <laughs> again, for all of you listening, please like, share, subscribe, uh, and recommend us on your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate all of you. Again, we're in the midst of the holiday season. So happy holidays to all of you, whatever you celebrate. Uh, and until next week, be well. Bye-bye. Bye. You've reached the end of another episode of Keeping Your together in a stressed world with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. If you like our show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate our broadcast, and leave a review. The podcast is for general information only and not intended to be legal or mental health advice, nor the formation of a lawyer-client, nor therapist-patient relationship. Stay tuned for our next episode, and thank you for listening.